Hello, and welcome to the Process Automation Podcast, a podcast from ABB that shines a light on their process automation business area and the work they're doing around the world. I'm Fran Scott, a presenter, maker, and all-around engineering geek. Across this series, we will explore the invisible force of automation, the processes that are in place under the surface that enable our daily lives. From the phones in our hands to the water in our taps, ABB's technologies are behind the scenes, orchestrating industrial processes, machinery and systems to operate seamlessly and efficiently to enable our every day. In the pipeline today, we are uncovering the world of water. And many of us access water without putting a second thought into the processes that allow it to flow from our taps when we switch them on. And here's some facts and figures for you. 70% of our planet is covered in water, but only 3% of this is drinkable. And about half of our drinking water comes from underground. And in addition to this, only one-fifth of wastewater water generated around the world is currently reused. Unfortunately, the rest of it is returned to the environment untreated. But our world's water needs are changing. In 30 years, there will be 1.2 billion more people on the planet. And of those, 80% will live in cities. Now, the world's food system will require 50% more water, cities and industries 60% more, and energy production will use 85% more water. So demand for water is going to be undeniably high. And add into this equation scarcity, aging infrastructure, limited access, and climate change. These all demand a more efficient management of the available water resources to serve this growing population. So how can process automation help? Well, today we'll be speaking to Marco Akalia, Global Segment Management for Water and Infrastructure at ABB, to discuss how ABB are enabling the infrastructure to be more responsible when it comes to using one of our most precious resources. Plus, we'll hear from Mohamed Eid from Elaine Distribution Company about how water distribution has transformed over the past two decades in the United Arab Emirates. But first, we'll hear from Cecilia Wemberg, Vice President for Market Development in Sales for DHI. Now, DHI is a global independent company which is dedicated to working on challenges within the field of water environment and sustainability. And within these areas, they offer advisory, research and also water governance resourcing. They also provide leading technologies and softwares that are used across the globe within utilities, consultants and the water industry as a whole. Cecilia told me about the current issues facing the water sector, but I started by taking a few steps back and I asked her how water actually makes it to our taps in the first place. So really what happens when when you go for a glass of water at your home and you open the tap, then you get fresh, healthy hopefully good tasting water. And the the reason for that is because we are in a cyclic, you could say, water cycle globally, which means that we are drinking the water that is coming from the earth, starting with the rain falling down from the sky. And that goes into the rivers or into the lakes again. It could also be going down, uh, generating groundwater below surface. And then we take this water. We might have to clean it a little bit. 
before we put it into pipes that are distributing the water into your taps. But also what happens is that when you've had that glass of water, you might need to go to the bathroom. And whatever goes out there is, we consider that to be a little bit polluted and it goes out of the, of the house or the apartment. And then it's being transported again in, in pipes uh, through the city. It goes to what we call the treatment plants as, as wastewater, as polluted water. And before we discharge that out into the lake again or the sea, we treat it and we clean it to make sure that we don't hurt or have a, a bad environmental impact on our receiving waters. And the really nice thing is that once it goes out into the lakes, in the end, it will evaporate up into the sky and then it will fall down again as rain somewhere else. So it's really a, a cycle of water. We call it the hydrological cycle, but uh, we are actually reusing the resource, which is the water itself. Cecilia, you make it all just sound so simple, but I know and you know <laughs> that it's anything but. So could you explain to us a bit of the challenges that this whole process comes with? Yes. Um, so it, it is a challenge. We, we take it very much for granted. So in the cities, again, we have utilities and we have uh, water authorities working with making sure that there is this infrastructure in place to transport the water, whether it's into the houses or out of the houses. And they are also running these operational treatment facilities where we clean the water uh, in order to be able to drink it or discharge it out into other waters. Uh, on top of that, that's that's challenging enough in terms of complicated processes. Uh, there is uh, expensive infrastructure in place that needs to be maintained and updated and renewed. But on top of that, we, we also have the challenges of changing world, you could say. So there are, there are things impacting on the water industry, which is a little bit out of our own control. We are seeing a, a huge impact from climate change coming. There is simply too much water in some places and there's too little water in some places. So uh, because of the climate change, we have increasing rainfalls some in some parts of the world, which causes floodings and, and too much water. So there are disasters coming out of that. But it's also changing the availability of, of fresh water in other parts of the world, which means that there is not enough water to supply all the people that are looking to have healthy fresh water in their taps. Another thing is really the environmental sustainability perspective on the whole water industry. Uh, as I mentioned, with this uh, cyclic process that we have around the water, it means that we are discharging also sometimes less treated or less cleaned water into our environment. And that actually impacts the sources of water that we want to reuse next time to bring in the fresh water. So in order for us to make sure that we don't pollute the source that we want to reuse, we need to make sure we have a safe operations of the processes of the, the water management. And uh, that is also a challenge in, in a changing world where energy, which is uh, something that we use a lot in the water management, is becoming increasingly expensive. Uh, we have an aging infrastructure, uh, which needs uh, repair and maintenance and, and updates. So, so that's also the whole environmental sustainability requirement. And, and also with increasing legislation, uh, there is a pressure on the industry to make sure that we can comply with those regulations. So everything that you've said so far lays the bed for this industry being absolutely ripe for automization. So when it comes to this water industry, how can the digitalization and the automization of it help to solve some of these problems? We talk a lot about the operations here. The water management is is driving 
their operations and, and they also have investments. But really, it's about this 24-7 operations, having uh, no disruptions in that operations. We don't want any surprises. We want to be convinced and, and fully certain about that everything is going to work in the next uh, days or weeks or months. And if something has happened, then we want to know about it so we can proactively mitigate the, the possible negative consequences of, of that disruption. And this is where automation and not least smart water solutions or digitalization comes in. So by having automation, that's where we can control how we operate our system. We can proactively predefine how we want to run it during uh, under different uh, conditions and circumstances. So for a certain event where there's a lot of rainfall, we run it in one way. In, in another uh, occasion or, or a situation where there's less rainfall or there's just dry weather flow, then we, we, we run the automation in a different way. And then on top of that, we can also add some, some smart water solutions or, or digitalization as we use now, digital water or whatever we call it. That's really where we don't only automate, but we actually put some intelligence on top of that automation. And through the intelligence, we can go even further in this proactive uh, operation of the systems, even forecasting into the future, predicting what's about to happen and, and be even more prepared to avoid these disruptions and, and surprises that we don't want to see. And in terms of this automation that you're putting into this in your own words, sort of aging infrastructure, can it be retrofitted or do you have to sort of start again? No, I think that's that's the key thing that many of the um, utilities, not least in, in the water industry, are looking into today is how can we prolong the efficiency of our existing infrastructure rather than going into expensive new investments, replacing old infrastructure or rebuilding or, or upgrading uh, is there a way to to make them live a little bit longer uh, that we can utilize them for for some some longer time and and even maybe improve the the efficiency and that's again where where automation comes in and together with digitalization so with sensors with IoT and with smart data management I would say it's very much about uh, we can tune or fine tune the automation to to give us more for the same money trying to delay some of those huge investments into the future. So digital technology is clearly integral to the whole water industry. And if we look at ABB's smart solutions for water and wastewater, they blend expertise in automation, instrumentation, and analyzing technology to enable the efficient and sustainable delivery, reuse, and reclamation of our water. However, investment in the infrastructure and its modernization is crucial to meet this ever-increasing demand for water. Now, to understand more about this, I spoke to Marco Akalia, Global Segment Management for Water and Infrastructure at ABB. In his role, he heads up the go-to-market approach in the sector. His focus is to define the strategy to support key opportunities and customers. And I spoke to him about how ABB are helping to improve these infrastructures to support this growing demand. Uh, today, we have a, a fantastic possibility ahead of us because with the new technology, with the help of the digital solution, there is a possibility to know more what is happening and know better what is happening compared to the past. And this is crucial because uh, with the existing infrastructure we have to manage, we cannot think to replace pipes everywhere. So we need to increase the level of intelligence of our system to understand where our problem in order to fix it 
shorter and reducing these leakages. For example, we have today intelligent device or expert system based on software intelligence coupled together with a high level of integration across the various uh, uh, system that allow to correlate the various source of data and uh, having an analysis that help operator to locate where there are abnormal situation, discrepancy, and to activate the proper containment action. If this is done on a shorter time frame, the losses are reduced, especially the one that are called the silent losses, because are not huge losses that you can see, but the one that are constantly losing water. In ABB, we are focusing on that. Uh, we start with a strong background experience on automation, but today the evolution is towards uh, digital and advanced technology. And together also with our uh, domain partner, we are building what is a, an integrated solution that allow operator to reduce the inefficiencies in their network that from one side are related to leakages, but from the other side is also related to the energy consumption. That does sound really exciting. And especially, like you said, in terms of there's so many kilometers of pipes that you just, well, you just can't see by the, you know, they are underground, they're in accessible places. And so by being able to monitor these pipes remotely, you can see where the problems occur. Now, Marco, what type of things are you monitoring? Are you monitoring the flow, the pressure? Are there cameras down there? What does the system look like? There are various elements that can be monitored. We have uh, all the instrumentation, all the device to monitor it. Uh, so the more elements you have uh, available, the more uh, information you, you can uh, uh, correlate, cross-check, and of course, uh, the more is reliable what uh, what is the insight about a possible event or inefficiencies? So you you really touched a very good point because today where we are investing is on the interoperability and in the correlation of the various source of data. That's one of the most complex challenge because when you have information coming from various source and you want to integrate in a single maybe dashboard or also visualization, you have to be sure that uh, the different data sets that are arriving in various formats has to be harmonized and contextualized. And thanks to the technology we have, we can do it in an automated way. So removing the manual risk of doing that and making it more available for uh, on-time uh, analytics that uh, can tell you exactly in uh, a moment what is happening uh, on a large network. This is something that up to a few years ago was, uh, was not possible. Now. Are those decisions that are made in terms of that data made by a person or are those automated or is it a mix of the two? A good point. The first one is the one of the so-called autonomous operation that can be seen as an ultimate goal. That means having more information available originated by more data coming from, uh, from the field. However, we have also to be conscious about the potential of uh, today software based on artificial intelligence or machine learning because with this uh, we can uh, be able to have a more uh, effective usage of a field sensor uh, because you can uh, generate a so-called virtual sensor so having uh, more information but coming from uh, uh, the, the software intelligence part coupled together with what you have on the field. In the past, often uh, someone was saying, uh, if you want to know 
more accurate at what is happening, you, you have to deploy more sensor. So not one sensor every kilometer, but maybe one sensor every 100 meter. Today, thanks to the software technology, we can have uh, an optimal, maybe with a less uh, field deployment. So I think that this is for sure a, an element that uh, the more we go ahead, the more will come uh, common. Last but not least, uh, the possibility to create a virtual replica of what is happening in the physical world, in digital world, is for sure a big step ahead because you can decide to open or close a valve knowing in advance what will be the impact because you have been able to run it in your, let's say, digital twin. This allow the operator really to understand how their network can behave. Coupling together with a specific aspect of the management of the water network, in this case is the hydraulic, for sure represent a fantastic opportunity to better handle the day-by-day operation. How does it all work? Could you talk me through some specific examples? Yeah, sure. For example, I think that what we have done recently in North Europe, where we have been able to collect together different system operating across a water cycle where there was a treatment plant, a distribution network, and also wastewater treatment facilities. And to connect all of this system together in a single integrated dashboard to have a full view about the entire water cycle. This has been possible thanks to the capabilities we have to integrate various sources, even not homogeneous, together. And I believe this is the area where the overall sector is going to make more awareness about the overall water cycle. And to me, the concept of the integrated water management is the area where we need to look more about the potential for improvement compared to the past. So I suppose so far we've been concentrating on getting us clean water, haven't we, in terms of the leaking pipes and all of this lot. But... That's only part of the water cycle. Once we've actually done what we need to do with the water, we've then got wastewater. So what happens to this wastewater and what improvements can be made to that system to make sure it runs more efficiently? It's fundamental. If you can uh, imagine, for example, that uh, a wastewater plant can become uh, a source of uh, elements like uh, fertilizer or nutrients, even uh, energy. We are working on uh, some uh, pilots projects in this area. We we are very proud of that and we see a big potential. And uh, I think that uh, this uh, will impact uh, the capability to manage the water scarcity more and more in the future. Today, for example, uh, the reuse of water is quite scattered all around the world. There should be, of course, phased approach case by case, but I believe that in general, the contribution of the wastewater treatment to the optimization of the overall water cycle is probably the most important piece in the entire story of the optimization of the water cycle.
to understand what the global impact of a technology like this can have and the difference it can make around the world, I spoke to Mohammed Eid from Alain Distribution Company. Now, Alain is based in the UAE and is itself not close to any large water sources at all. And water distribution in the area 20 years ago was very poor by our standards. So I spoke to Mohammed to find out how they transformed this area through automation to ensure the improved access to water for the locals. Here we are located in a reed region where the rain is very scarce and we don't have any groundwater. And the reliance in this region, especially in the United Arab Emirates, for is mainly on the desalination to supply or to source or provide the water needed for most of the activities in the country. So the main challenges we were facing at that time was a non sufficiency of the water resources available to Al-Ain region. Other challenges included the absence of metering at that time, so not all the customer would meter, and the age network, of course, contributing to higher levels of non-revenue water or water losses. Due to the wide area we are covering, again, response time, customer complaint or some network emergencies was sometimes taking a longer time due to the the distance and due to the rough road conditions in the area. That prompted us to think about developing our system and trying to find some sort of ways to, to make our job easier and to be able to control some of these challenges which I have mentioned. So if you were mostly relying on the desalination of water, Would this have led to restrictions in supplies anywhere across the region? Yes, of course, because initially you need time. You need many things before you can get water to your final consumption or final consumers. You need to have budget, first of all, and then you need to plan where you're going to have your desalination plant. And then you need to have a transmission pipeline from the desalination plant up to your distribution or consumers. And as you know, uh, Al-Ain is not a city, it's an internal city. It does not lie on any coastal or any uh, seashore. So the distance between Al-Ain to the nearest seashore or sea coast is about 120 kilometers. It means that not only you need to build a desalination plant, you need to build desalination plant, you need to build transmission facilities, and then you need to build also some receiving facilities in the city before you can use this water. And this, of course, sometimes necessitates a restriction, especially in the old age when we started planning for this thing. At that time, supply was restricted to some degree in order to match the demand with the availability of water. Gosh, so when you started back in 2000, yeah, there would be restricted water supply. There was this big issue of how do you get more water coupled with a lack of water meters and the fact that accessibility to maintain repairs also sort of added in to the issues. Gosh. So, Mohammed, how would you start about coming up with solutions to those problems? You need to have a plan. 
So the absence of a plan is actually a plan of failure. So we started planning for this thing by working with some international companies in the consultancy field, as well as on the implementation. And we did one of the massive study projects in the region where we have a comprehensive study, starting from the requirements for the water sources or additional production facilities needed to in order to, to close the gap between the demand and supply. And it goes on to address the need for network replacement and rehabilitation, different metering projects at our uh, interface points with upstream operating company known as Transco. And we didn't go for a traditional mechanical water meter. We opted to go for state-of-the-art electronic water meter with no moving parts. So this makes it easier and more accurate when we register the volume of water consumed by each customer and make it easier for us also to move with more advanced options like automatic metering infrastructure or automatic meter reading. After doing this thing again, network configuration and developing a real-time hydraulic model and rezoning and modeling of the whole Al-Ain region, we started by dividing Al-Ain region to something called district metered areas. This is some operational area where you have control in each of these district meter area of the flow, the pressure, and the water quality also uh, in this particular district metered area. And by this, you can again optimize your flow according to the, the consumption in this particular area. You can also manage the pressure, which is having direct relation to the rate of bursts of the main and house connection, and also have an alarm system for the water quality in case you got any issue. So we have installed online water quality analyzers at the edge of this thing. And, and the final stage for this thing was actually to have a control center where we got all the data, we collect all the data from our field sensors and our equipments in the field to one central location, giving us a lot of capabilities to track and trace all the water consumption, have better decision when it comes to pressure management and, and responding to customer complaint or any emergency, optimizing our operation, again, expenditure by reducing the reliance on the manpower. Now, coming up with a system that is so automated like this, did you come up against any challenges along the way? Yes, of course. <laughs> yes, we face a lot of challenges. Some of these challenges, as I told you, was even in the selection and the type of meter we are using because all the world are you are still using the mechanical meters, which is having a moving part or a piston to count the volume of water. In our case, it will not work because Sometimes under the intermittent supply, you have air in the pipeline and this auto, uh, manual meter or mechanical meter will count air. So to select a suitable type, we went for uh, ultrasonic water meter, which is having no moving parts at all. And that gives us higher accuracy. Likewise, our large diameter water meters at the interface points are very sensitive and very accurate water meters with accuracy level less than 0.2% from reputed manufacturer worldwide. So 
selecting the right technology was a challenge. Locally, we got some minor things related to, again, dealing with a lot of underground surfaces and the wide area we are covering. So sometimes we were forced also to carry out relocation of existing assets or changing the location of some of our construction valve chambers in order to avoid conflict with other surfaces available in some sites. Because obviously you've come so far in the last two decades. What would you be implementing in the next decade? As they say, excellence is a journey with no destination. So we are on this journey of excellence and uh, we are getting a lot of support from our company and from Taka. We are planning to go for more digital transformation or more digital options to improve the performance of the network. And this will be done through, again, the development of Digital Twin. We will, it will be done through implementation of more smart solution, especially infrastructure metering projects, for example, where you got all the metering and the consumption data uh, on real-time basis. And this will enable us to not only meet the customer requirements and expectations, but it will also enable us to interact with customers when it comes to issues like sustainability, like demand side management, allowing the customer if they have consumption above uh, their average based on the the historical data we have. So uh, we are heading to more digital solution in the coming, let's say, three to five years. I really enjoyed hearing from Mohammed about the technologies that they're implementing and the level of automation that they've gone with, because that, in essence, leapfrogs from the technology that we have in the Western world. And so you've got these areas that are introducing automation for the first time, but in the next few decades, they'll be well ahead of people that have had some sort of automation for a few years. And it just goes to show that there's this there's this path of excellence of just continually getting better and how the implementation of automation is so crucial in that improvement. And on that note, we come to the end of this episode. A massive thank you to Cecilia Wemberg, Marco Akalia and Mohamed Eid for their brilliant insight and expertise. I'm Fran Scott, and the Process Automation Podcast is a fresh air production for ABB. Follow or subscribe now for free wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.